BDC, the Bank for Canadian Entrepreneurs, is a proud partner of the Startup Women podcast. BDC is here for women entrepreneurs in their efforts to move forward and achieve their business goals. To meet their specific needs, BDC provides financing, strategic advice, and has a wide selection of free resources. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women. BDC is here for what's ahead. Scotiabank Women Initiative is a signature program designed to increase economic opportunity for individuals who identify as women or non-binary to be successful now and in the future. This unique offering helps women pursue their best professional and financial futures by providing unbiased access to capital and tailored solutions, bespoke specialized education, holistic advisory services, and mentorship. For more information, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. Welcome to the Startup Women Podcast, a show where we connect you, Canada's powerful cohort of women-identifying founders, to real stories and case studies of women building businesses, supported by true, tactical advice from thought leaders and industry experts. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, CEO of Startup Canada. Each month, I'll be sharing the mic with one founder and one expert. Together, we will dive into real stories and scenarios and uncover actionable advice for women entrepreneurs across Canada. From funding and hiring to sales and scaling strategies, on this show, we cover the most important topics so you can deconstruct the challenges of starting and running a business with knowledge that goes beyond the surface level. Let's get started. Erin Stevenson is the COO and CMO of Dozer, the largest online equipment rental marketplace. Erin is focused on scaling the Dozer team, but with that comes the challenge of ensuring the right people are recruited for the culture that she's built. Hiring for a culture is important to Erin, and it often can be the difference between a person surviving or thriving in the organization. We've been very, very intentional about our culture and what we wanted our culture to be as a company. So we set out early on and actually defined that and, and wrote it down uh, in a slide deck. You know, we have culture elements like respect and collaboration learning and problem solving, customer focus. We make sure that we hire for culture. That's very, very important for us. So as we're bringing people into the organization, they need to not only have the skills and experience to do the job, but they have to align with our values and the way in which we do business. But what exactly is culture? Where does it come from? And how do you make sure your team identifies with it and embodies it? That's where Jamie Savage, CEO and founder of The Leadership Agency, comes in. Jamie and The Leadership Agency have helped some of the fastest growing startups make and keep their best hires. Culture has never been more important than it is now. Culture is, is a code. It's something that's really important. But right now, the reason I say it's more important um, than it ever has been is because we are actually defining it as we speak here today. The companies are right now having to reevaluate a lot of what they thought made up their culture or defined their culture. You know, we're seeing a, a shift um, go from this in-office culture mentality and the things that were very tangible that we thought made up our culture, um, you know, things that we could see and experience and 
that isn't necessarily culture. And so I think it's leaving people in a place where they're like, well, what is our culture? In this conversation, we bring together Erin and Jamie's experience and expertise to talk about hiring and how women entrepreneurs can make sure that these gestures in their business are done right. The ways we hire and how we take care of our people and our teams matters. And although hiring may not get easier as organizations grow, there are certain things that founders and leaders can do to approach these decisions with detail, influence, and impact. Welcome to the show, Erin and Jamie. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're, I'm so excited to dive into today's conversation. Uh, but to give our audience a little bit of context around who you are, Jamie, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your journey uh, with the Leadership Agency. Yeah, so I'm the founder of the Leadership Agency. I founded the company five years ago, and uh, I come from about 15 years of recruitment experience. And so when I founded the company, I knew that I wanted to help startups make their best hires and grow and lead. And so we get to help build some of the most impressive companies of our generation by doing so. And, you know, we are operated and in, in locally situated here in Toronto, Canada, but we're globally, um, you know, focused. We expanded into the UK in 2021 and to the US in 2018. You know, it's a very exciting time to, to be in recruitment. Amazing. Fabulous, Jamie. And Erin, uh, walk us through a bit of your journey as the CEO of Dozer. Uh, I know you've been going through quite a hiring journey these days. What, uh, what does that adventure look for you at Dozer? Yeah, so uh, at Dozer today, we have a team of about 65 people and, and we've been growing um, significantly over the last several years. We started the company back in 2015 with just uh, the three founders. Um, and we have grown it consistently year over year since then. Usually in line with fundraising, you know, you get an influx of, of cash and then you can have another hiring boom at the company. So it does come in ebbs and flows. Um, but we, we've been doubling the size of the company almost every year. And this year is no exception. We're looking at uh, significant growth again and nearly doubling the team in 2022. Wow. Incredible. So let's start there. Um, you know, with this growth um, and, you know, almost doubling your team year over year. That is incredible. Can you describe, um, you know, what has Dozer's culture looked like um, since the beginning? Uh, I know that, that when we talk about hiring, we're going to go into some, some deep dives in hiring for culture. Um, but as the leader of the organization, how do you know um, how to build culture, what you wanted Dozer's culture to be like? How has that journey been for you um, as, as one of the early stage uh, staff? Yeah, we've been very, very intentional about our culture and what we wanted our culture to be as a company. So we set out early on um, and actually defined that and, and wrote it down uh, in a slide deck. Um, you know, we have culture elements like respect and collaboration, learning and problem solving, customer focus. Um, those are our, our core elements um, of our culture. And we make sure that we hire for culture. That's very, very important for us. So as we're bringing people into the organization, they need to not only have the skills and experience to do the job, but they have to align with our values and the way in which we do business. Mm. And Jamie, is this something that you're seeing with the startups that you're working with around culture? We know we it's appearing in all of this thought leadership. So many conversations are being had around what makes an ideal culture, um, you know, as, as, uh, people are recruiting and trying to retain employees at top speed at the moment. Why does culture matter to, to you from, from your experience? And, and what are you seeing with the startups that you're working with? Yeah, I think that culture has never been 
more important than it is now. And I, what I mean by that is there's always important, um, you know, whether it's to, to hire people for, or to help, you know, guide your organization through growth and through evolution. Culture is, is a code. It's something that's really important. Um, but right now, the reason I say it's more important um, than it ever has been is because we are actually defining it as we speak here today. Companies are right now having to reevaluate a lot of what they thought made up their culture or defined their culture. Um, you know, we're seeing a, a shift um, go from this in-office culture mentality and the things that were very tangible that we thought made up our culture, um, you know, things that we could see and experience. And that isn't necessarily culture. And so I think it's leaving people in a place where they're like, well, what is our culture? And that's that's great because that that's change and evolution. And I think that culture-based hiring is important. I think that there's an opportunity to, to grow and to change from that because I think a lot of times and a lot of companies, culture is very flawed. We're seeing that. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of companies haven't done the work to be inclusive. They haven't done the work to be diverse. They haven't done the work to do all this really important work um, on themselves. And, you know, you'll see that reflected, um, you know, in the hires that they make moving forward and that the hires that they've made in the past. And I think that culture is, is a really important topic right now. And I think we have this unique opportunity to um, recreate or redefine our culture. And in most cases, actually create a company culture. Mm, amazing. So let's go to, you know, hiring and HR 101. This is a space that entrepreneurs struggle with daily in either, you know, making their first hire, making their hundredth hire as they are scaling rapidly. Um, and it's a challenge to figure out what the best approach framework, uh, you know, how do you, you actually plan out this hiring and recruitment process? So Jamie, does hiring get easier <laughs> the more that you do it? Or can your first hire and your hundredth hire bring the same level of difficulty? What have you seen in the industries that you've been working in? Yeah, I think that from my experience, you know, having grown teams myself, but I think, you know, more relevantly, you know, there's more relevance in sharing my experience with, with my client, like the experience I've had with my clients. And that is that hiring never gets easy or it never gets easier. Really. There's easy times or there's times where, where hires um, feel easy to be made because it's the right person. It's the right time. But the truth is, is that, you know, or, recruitment is not linear. So it's never going to be, um, you know, a, a magic formula. And unfortunately, you know, over time or with more practice, that doesn't necessarily impact um, it being easy or hard. It, the, the truth is, you know, you're, it's a people-led process and mission. So every hire will be different Every candidate that you interview for your interview for your job will be different. Everyone who's making that hire, ha, you know, has different expectations. But I think that what you'll see as companies grow and scale, and you know, their business practices do as well, there becomes more rigor. Um, there's more learning opportunities, and you know, you can start to define for your organization. Um, how you want it to be done. You get to have more influence versus just reacting to, to a hiring need. And that is what will get easier, so to speak, is really having that influence on 
how you make these hires and who you and who you hire versus you know just having to to hire because you're growing so quickly. So I think over time, what that does is it allows you, like I said, to have influence and to impact um, how these hires are made. Mm. And do you have any common frameworks that founders should be familiar with when it comes to hiring? Like, is there a a standard approach or standard questions or uh, you know a length of interviews, et cetera, that um, you know is, is sort of best practice for organizations to implement into their business, or does it really depend on what you're hiring for? Yeah, I think that for recruitment to be successful and and, and repeated success, that it, it's more you know important for organizations and companies who are who are hiring to remember that successful recruitment is equal amounts of probability and urgency. And so when you, when you go to market and you have a job that you want to hire for, um, you have to be urgent. You have to remember that this is people's time. This is their, you know, their dedication to the process. And so that can't take an exceptional amount of time. Um, And you have to be, um, you know, relevant. You ha- and, and the probability aspect is you, you have to be relevant. You, what you ask of the market, your expectations of their experience, their expecta- your expectations of what you want to pay these people, um, how you want to lead them, and what you expect their contribution to be to the organization, um, that has to be relevant. That has to be probable. The market has to respond. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's going into each search with uh, realistic expectations and with urgency and with mindfulness around people's time. I think that is the best framework. And I think there are methodologies out there that are proven to be very successful in some organizations and probably not in others. Um, you know, you can subscribe to things like top grading and um, psychometric testing and things like that, but that's not going to work for all companies. So I think that it's more of a mindset and more of a recognition that um, you, the people you want to hire are just that they are people and you need to um, be urgent and, and have realistic expectations. Mm, that's really helpful advice, Jimmy. Yeah. It, it just feels, I think, very daunting to so many entrepreneurs, you know, to, to get this right, that the stakes feel so high often as well. So that added pressure and that, that natural urgency is important. Um, but there are so many other variables as well that are at play. So I think that's, that's helpful feedback for, for our listeners. Aaron, you shared that, you know, one of your biggest challenges that you faced as a leader at Dozer has been growing your talent and retaining Dozer's culture while you shift from a startup to a scale up. And this is something that we're seeing a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with. Is this an ongoing challenge for you? How is hiring for culture and that approach that you prioritize embedded um, into this growth strategy? Can you walk us through with maybe some concrete examples of what that looks like for you? Yeah, absolutely. Hiring for culture is, is probably the most important factor that we consider when we're bringing new people onto the team. It, it's really that X factor. It's that element that really makes the difference between somebody surviving and somebody thriving in the organization. It's of huge importance for us. It can't be discounted. Having the skills and experience for us is sort of the the baseline. That's like the the minimum (laughs) requirement uh, for entering the organization. And when we look at culture, it's a combination of of things um, that we consider. It's a combination of the values that we have as a company and wanting to make sure that the hires we bring in share those values, but it's also looking at the realities of the job. And we have to be really honest with ourselves as startups about what the realities of the job are, because they are, they can be quite different than they are in larger organizations. So a really key example I think about is, is process. You know, some people 
need process. They thrive on it. They, they, um, that's just a fundamental part of how they work. For us in our startup, process is not something that is hugely important. It certainly wasn't um, when we were early stage. And, and it does change and shift over time as the company grows and scales. So we need to make sure that we're, we're clear about the realities of the job and that we're bringing people that fit those realities. If we bring in somebody who wants a lot of process and we don't have that, they're they're not going to thrive. And and that does change as we scale. Um, we start bringing in, you know, a lot of new employees, um, and the need for process becomes greater. And so we also have to shift our expectations as a company about what we're going to offer our employees and make sure that we're, as Jamie mentioned, staying relevant and keeping up with where we need to be. Um, as an organization. And it, it's, um, it also takes a lot of intention. You have to be really, really intentional about doing it, really understand what your values are, really understand those really realities of your job. When you're, you're a small startup, and it is the founders that are living and breathing that culture and embodying it, a lot of that culture gets passed on through osmosis with those first mm-hmm. few hires. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you scale, and you grow, and you start bringing in new people, you can't rely on that process of osmosis anymore um, that with each new hire that gets diluted a little bit. So you have to be really, really intentional about what you do to embed that culture into um, the organization, embed it into the new hires that you bring. So part of that for us comes from hiring for culture in the first place and making sure there's that initial alignment. Mm. But we also have to be really, really mindful of the onboarding process and make sure that we are onboarding people to our culture at the same time and then embedding it in everything that we do and reinforcing that culture and everything that we do as well. It's tricky stuff, man. <laughs> There's a lot of different layers to this. And, and I'm curious to get both of your feedback on this. Do you think that the culture of an organization comes top down founders to employees as, you know, organizations scale, or is it something that, that almost naturally builds over time through the teams that you, you bring on? Um, what is, where does culture come from? Jamie, what are your thoughts on, on how intentional you can be about building um, a culture versus it kind of happening organically? Yeah, I think that it's a bit of both. And I can, I can speak from my personal experience. So when I founded the leadership agency five years ago, um, our, one of our missions or my mission was to help build the most impressive companies of our generation by helping them make their, their best hires. Mm. And I didn't want to be, uh, you know, excluded from that. I wanted to build a company that was better than any company that I had ever worked for. And so I think, you know, from, from the very beginning, I had a unique mind frame. I had, you know, goals and a mission that, you know, goals I wanted to accomplish and a mission that I didn't want to lose focus of. But truth be told, you know, my culture and my mindset and, you know, where I was two or three years ago as a founder and as a leader in the company is very different than where I am now. And I can confidently say that that has been influenced and impacted by the people around me continuously. The people who once worked for my company, who maybe no longer do, the people who've been there since day one. And I think that that is, you know, an example of sort of like, you know, what Aaron mentioned, like this osmosis process where you're continuously learning um, from each other and being influenced and impacted by one another. Um, But, you know, I also think that more often than not, and I don't know if this is always a a positive thing, but it's it's really, um, you know, top down. And I don't always get the best experiences or best exposure to cultures when when it is led and directed that way, when there is no room for growth and improvement, because like I said earlier, like I think we're all seeing that culture 
a lot of cultures, you know, within companies is quite flawed and it's quite um, open for negotiation right now because we're all trying to figure so much out. And I think that um, you'll see companies who aren't open to change and flexible, um, you know, and, and doing the work mm. to their company. Um, they're the ones who are likely um, led with a linear mindset that it is top down. So I think that we're, we're quickly seeing and sort of drinking from a fire hose in terms of that experience um, companies who have, uh, one mindset and a company in companies who have others. Interesting. So interesting. Aaron, what are your thoughts? Is corporate culture something that's created? Does it reveal itself? Does it come top down? What's your perspective? You know, I agree with a lot of what Jamie said. I think it starts top down in that the founders need to be really intentional about what their culture is. Um, give that some, some thought, write it down, you know, um, <laughs> but then you, you have to be flexible to listen to the feedback that's coming from your employees and you and ultimately have to walk the talk. So we mm. could create a beautiful slide deck that says these are our values and this is our culture. But if we don't actually live it and breathe it every single day and then embed that into every element of the work we do, um, it's, it's not going to feel authentic and it's not going to feel real. And then you end up with this disconnect, which is, I think, what, what Jamie's um, talking about her experience where the leaders are saying the culture is one thing and the rest of the employee population is saying or feeling that it's something else. Mm. And so it does take a lot of work to make sure that if you are intentional about your culture, that you have that alignment and that you're actually embedding that into um, the day-to-day experiences of your employees. But you naturally have to take that feedback and and shift and adjust. And as your company scales and grows, your culture shifts as well. Um, when you're only a five person company, you know, you, you just think, act and operate differently than when you're a hundred person company and each sort of growth um, stage along the way, your culture naturally shifts and adapts. And so you have to be open to that as a leader. Mm, agreed. And I love that you said uh, at the beginning, write it down. <laughs> I think that's something that that many entrepreneurs and, and many you know employees or employers for that matter, they struggle with actually putting concrete words around what their culture is. Like it's sort of this amorphous feeling or energy or, you know, it, it doesn't feel concrete enough. And I think there's a lot of power in writing down, you know, your corporate values. What does culture mean within your day to day? What are examples of what that looks like? Like the more um, structure, I think, from a recruitment standpoint that we can provide and saying, hey, here's the type of culture we're, we're looking to match when bringing you onto the team. Um, that helps everyone through the recruiting process. So I love that the simplicity of, of that suggestion of just write it down. <laughs> and some of it, you know, is not going to be, it, we're not going to be able to write to, in perfect detail what it is, but um, that's a, a good start. Uh, yeah. So we actually wrote our uh, values down early on, probably within our first year. Um, and within the first few hires that we had as a company, we went through um, a planning session, we wrote down our BHAG, you know, our big, hairy, audacious goal, mm-hmm. what our vision was, where we were headed. And a fundamental part of that was what our values were. And it really formed the basis for a lot of our hiring decisions going forward. That's great. So many of the entrepreneurs listening to this podcast are very early stage in the development of their businesses and building from a really strong foundation, developing repeatable hiring processes, getting some step-by-step feedback is something that at Startup Canada, we get asked for very often. Um, So Jamie, when is a good time for solopreneurs, very small teams or, you know, independent founders, when should they be considering hiring? Are there certain signs that tell organizations that it might be time to hire? What are some of those cues? Yeah, I think the simple answer to that is uh, if you're thinking about it, 
you're like, it should have been done yesterday. Like oh. I, I think that, uh, and that's so much easier said than done. And I completely understand and empathize with that from being a, you know, an early stage founder myself of a bootstrap company. And I think that, you know, one of the best decisions I ever made as a, as a founder and as an entrepreneur was, is I hired from day one. And, um, you know, that comes with its own challenges, but I think the cues to, to look for or the data to support, uh, you know, the decision you're trying to make in terms of hiring, regardless of the line of business that you're trying to hire, whether it's sales or marketing or, or finance, is looked at just that, the data, reverse engineer, um, you know, your numbers and, and ensure that, A, you've got the run rate, like you've got the revenue to support that. You've got, um, you know, the right, you know, whether it's leader to lead this new hire. There's a lot of different factors that go into, you know, determining whether or not it's the right time to make a hire. But I think as early stage founders and as early stage companies, I think that more likely than not, uh, the answer is yes, go ahead and make that hire. And, um, you know, it should pay off. Um, ultimately, you know, the ROI is, is proven very quickly with hires. Yes, there's onboarding. Yes, there's training. There's there's a lot of measurement that goes into different um, hires and, and the ROI attached to that. But ultimately, um, you know, my simple answer to that is yes, go make a hire. <laughs> Just dive right in. Yes. I love it. Um, and, you know, building job descriptions is something that I think many organizations either do extremely well or not very well, as we've seen, um, you know, especially uh, in, in this economy right now, you know, people are shifting jobs. People are, we're in a totally different environment than we were even at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, what do you think is sort of the secret sauce of a clear job description so that you're retaining or you're, you're recruiting that top talent um, with that clarity that is required for them to understand what they're signing up for? Jamie, I'll ask that question to you and then maybe Aaron, you can uh, add any additional context from your experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you know, it's a, it's a perfect um, segue into to the previous question about, um, you know, waiting for the answers or, you know, knowing when to do something. And I think that it, when it comes to job descriptions is um, you don't want to necessarily wait for all the answers because as an entrepreneur, you're likely never going to get them. So you want to, to move forward um, with purpose. And I think job descriptions are a great product of that. It, it, it's purpose driven. That's exactly what a job description is, is there's purpose, there's measurement, there's expectations. So I think that creating a framework of, you know, a few simple things and job descriptions often get confused with job postings. They're quite different things. Um, job posting is, is an advertisement. It's what, it's what gets someone interested in your organization. So you have a lot of really cool creative liberties um, there when it comes to postings. That gets someone enticed. So treat it as such because they're not one and the same. So when you write a job description, don't post that online because that's not what's going to get someone to want to work for your company. Uh, a job description is usually, um, you know, released or used as a tool in the recruitment process. We're like, hey, thanks for applying. Thanks for interviewing. Here's a job description. Let's go over it together. I'll send it to you. So it is a much more detailed uh, document and, and holds a lot more weight when it comes to actual employment versus just getting someone to want to apply and be interested in your company. So job descriptions, I'll start there, um, are, are very detailed. 
So be prepared to invest in detail there because um, that is its purpose. And so really outlining what you want this person to be able to do, whether it's a hard skill job description, um, having certain hard skills and, and technical aptitude and abilities, um, whether it is a creative mindset in what maybe it's a marketing role and really outlining what your marketing department looks like today um, and what you want this person to contribute to that and how they're going to be measured. That's also very important to put in a job description um, measurement and so on. Um, a job posting is, is creative. It, it, it's something that you can really leverage your brand and your culture. Um, you know, Aaron's talked so much about that. And this is a, this, a job posting is a really great opportunity to shine light on your culture because people want to know about that. So um, I, I think that creating two different documents is important um, and doing research on job descriptions. See what's out there. See how other people um, talk about their jobs because there's usually a lot of, you can correlate a lot of what someone's doing with one company to another. Don't copy and paste that's not going to work but get a framework find something that um, inspires you and re you relate to in terms of what this job is and remember that they're two different documents that is such a good comment jamie and even in my positioning of that question i was saying you know a job description imagining a job posting and a description in the same sort of bucket so yeah. that's that's such an important distinction and level of detail and, and when it comes to recruiting in such a competitive environment this is a really key piece of advice i think for a lot of um, founders that are looking to to recruit um, amongst so many other founders who are trying to recruit so great great insight there, Jamie. Aaron, as it pertains to, you know, hiring, embedding uh, into the culture of your organization as well, do you have any tips on how you've approached job postings versus job descriptions um, and where that line is drawn of hiring for culture and hiring for skill set? How do you approach that within your organization? Yeah, I mean, a job posting is so much more than a list of skills and experience that you're looking for or tasks that, you know, are going to get checked off um, during the work week. Um, as a startup, you know, we can't always compete with other companies on salaries. We can't always compete with them on brand name um, and things like that. So you can really use your job posting as a place to set yourself apart, sell your vision. You know, we always have a, a section at the top of our job descriptions where we describe our company and what we're doing and how big the market is and how, you know, um, impactful what we're doing is, how we're changing the world you know, by, uh, by what we're doing and how employees that come and join us are going to change the world by the work that they do. Mm -hmm. um, so we're trying to sell that vision. We're trying to get them excited about the potential that coming to work for Dozer has. Um, and I think it's really important to have that information in your job posting to help differentiate you, especially in such a competitive market from the hundreds of other job descriptions that these candidates are looking at. And it's important to look at your job posting beyond the posting itself. You know, what is your employer brand and what is that experience that the candidate has once they apply, right? So you have your, your job posting up somewhere, but then what are they, are they, what are they going to a careers page and what does that careers page look and feel like? And what is that experience that they're having when they get there? Um, and so making sure that your employer brand is on point and that you're really selling that vision and, and even elements of your culture that you can speak about in your job postings and on your careers page to help um, really build that excitement and that momentum uh, with the candidates that you're attracting. 
I think that's really important. Great. And that's free as well. That to your point around, you know, competing against salaries, et cetera, um, that's a lever that as a scrappy early stage business, you have a lot of space and creativity to play there. Uh, so I think to, to founders that are bootstrapping as well, that's a great piece of advice um, with something that's very cost effective in bringing your brand to life. Um, Jamie, are you finding any platforms are booming now during, uh, you know, this hiring season? Where are people getting the best um, applicants? or finding top talent for their organizations? Are you seeing any trends um, during this, this, this time period that would be helpful for our listeners? Yeah, I think that, you know, there's your very traditional um, job board, like, um, you know, communities, you know, and there's, there's a the usual suspects there. There's yours indeed. There's, you know, LinkedIn has quite now a robust um, platform. There's a lot of, you know, disruptors coming to, to the table as well, which I'm there for. Like, I'm excited mm-hmm. to see that. I think that whole industry needs to be um, enhanced, which I'm excited to see if it does. And then, you know, there's your very traditional <clears throat> referrals, like employee referrals is a very strong and important strategy, I think. But, you know, like Aaron mentioned too, is your employer brand is is so critical right now. We are so dialed in as, as uh, you know, as humans right now, mm-hmm. um, you know, to social media. And, to areas of, of, you know, exploratory like decisions where we're like, maybe we would want a new job right now. I don't really know, but you know, we're really dialed in. We're not collectively, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but a lot of people right now are working from home. Their, their schedules have changed. We have different access to things than we did before when we were sitting in an office nine to five. So you're Mm -hmm. seeing a lot of people, um, you know, take a different approach to job searching and to, to being, um, you know, the, the, the line between passive and active candidates, right? If you're active, you're actively applying to lots of jobs, you're going on interviews versus passive. You're like, if a recruiter reaches out to me, then maybe I'll take a call, but you're sort of sitting back. I think that the answer now is somewhere in the, in between those two definitions and that people are doing a very research-based approach to job applications or research. So um, content is a so important right now, leading with um, thought leadership and subject matter expertise. And like Aaron mentioned, um, you know, making sure you've got a place, a centralized place of sharing, whether it is careers page or a really good landing page um, that outlines your company culture and your mission and so on. Because people, if they want to find you, they will find you. And that now is the time where people have a different point of and a different um, level of access to this information. So give it to them. Um, and that's the, the best way I can say it is that it, it, recruitment and sourcing and finding candidates is never going to be um, a strategy where you invest all your time and money or put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak, because that's just not the way it ever was. Mm. Uh, it, but now more than ever, or you want a whole bunch of different engines running at, at the same time. So you want your job postings up. You want to, like I said, a really strong um, you know, like, like Aaron mentioned, a really strong recruitment brand. Um, you want a good social media presence and you want to make sure that all of your reviews are organic and up to date. So Glassdoor, Google, and so on, um, create a presence wherever you can. And if you've got the time and if you've got the money and the resources, put some really good content out there. And it's not just about 
um, why you're a great company to work for because people aren't really going out there. They're, they're wanting to know what products you're releasing or what, what markets you're disrupting. Are you purpose-driven? Um, these are all things that people are like, hey, this company is really purpose-driven. They just raised a Series A. Um, they just hired this leader I can see on LinkedIn. Therefore, I'm interested in this company. So there's all these different things out there that are enticing people to look at your brand and look at your company um, to potentially want to work there. So if you just posted a job and nothing else, likely that person's not going to find you or, or really care to. So it's it's a pretty, um, you know, all prong, like all prong approach, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So many layers to it that all yes. make that kind of secret sauce. I love it. So I would love to ask about interviews because this often is another question that we get from entrepreneurs is how do you master um, as an as an employer an interview process to really identify this is the candidate that's going to join our team. Erin, what do interviews look like at Dozer? Can you walk us through the nitty gritty of what that process is involved with and how it's maybe evolved over time um, based on uh, you know what has worked and what hasn't worked in finding those great hires for your team? Yeah, absolutely. I- interviews are uh, so important uh, as part of this this hiring process, um, particularly to make sure you're you're hiring for the right culture as well as the right skills. Um, we tend to implement a three interview process um, mm-hmm. at Dozer, which I think is pretty common uh, out there with most companies. So, interview one is usually a, just a basic assessment of skills and qualifications. Do they have what they need to ha- to do the job? Um, interview two is typically with um, the leader of of that uh, particular team where they're doing a deep dive into the skills and really understanding, you know, how deep their knowledge runs, how broad their knowledge may be, and also, you know, how they think about things, um, how they approach problems, um, how they, you know, approach uh, growth and learning and things like that. Um, and then interview three is a culture interview and that always takes place with one of our founders. One of our three founders meets with every single candidate that we bring into the company, um, to make sure that they're going to be a culture fit and, and the founder acts as that kind of guidepost, um, to make sure that there's stability in those decisions. Um, and that's been our process, uh, for as long as I can remember at Dozer, I think what has evolved over time is the speed in which we implement that with a really competitive labor market right now, we need to move very fast. So from the time that we post the job to scheduling that first interview is often going to be, you know, less than a week. We're just kind of waiting for a good volume of candidates to come in so we can start making some of those decisions. And we don't wait for every single application to come in before we make a decision. We look at them as they come in and make decisions, uh, you know, on the spot about whether we're going to bring them in or not. And, you know, often we'll move from interview to an offer within uh, one to two weeks, sometimes faster. It could be three interviews in three days if everybody's schedule is aligned and and we could do that. We're we're absolutely prepared to move that quickly. Um, and I think it's it's hugely important. We've definitely noticed a correlation over time of moving slower and having less success with successfully 
um, attracting good candidates. I love it, Erin. I just got chills. <laughs> that, that speed of that process is so fantastic. And and as somebody, you know, potentially interviewing, I'm, I'm sure that's appreciated on the other side that, you know, a traditional job um, hunts and these processes taking months and, you know, all these different stages and waiting, um, it's exhausting. So I think, yeah, there's, there's benefits on both sides with that more rapid approach. Um, Jamie, to you, what does an engaging, honest, and effective interview process look like from, um, you know, some of the startups that you're working with? Are there some really great green flags to look out for when interviewing? Are there some solid red flags to watch out for? Uh, what do you advise some of your clients to look out for as well? Yeah, that's great. I love that you asked about the green flags because the green flags <laughs> are exactly what will um, determine what happens next, in my opinion. Mm. So I look and I love Aaron's. Um, you know, process and, and, and mindset around interviewing because, you know, a lot of times when people ask me about recruitment, I'm like, there's no magic number. There's no magic formula. I wish there was, it would be so easy, but I guess if there were, I wouldn't be in business, but <laughs> I love that, you know, Aaron's answer to that was like three interviews urgent because I do think that three interviews is, is a really good number. I, I really like it when clients, you know, are operating with that mindset. I think that's really key. So that um, I love that she, she, like leaned into that because it, it is important. Now the the green lights I think are something equally as important to address because that will determine what happens next. Because I look at interviewing and how I advise my clients to look at interviewing is 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 a sales process and 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 an engagement. So um, if a candidate has shown up to the first interview. And there's green lights, for example, have they shown up on time? Are they prepared? Do they have the right level of skill set? And these, a lot of these things you can determine in advance, but more importantly, in that first five to 10 minutes, you know, really in looking for those green lights, because now what's going to happen next is you're going to commit time and you're going to invest in this candidate because essentially what you want in the first interview is to, for the candidate to want to invest their time um, moving forward. Will this person want to come back for the second interview and the third interview? And even in some cases, you know, do a presentation or do an assessment of some sort. You want, if you want this candidate to continue that process, it is, I think, um, the, the company's job to ensure that that person walks away with an amazing experience. They know everything there is to know about your culture code, your vision, your mission, what you're looking to do as a company, your goals, your roadmap, your leadership style, and so on. Because if this is a candidate who has the green, um, green flags, as we say, um, you then now want them to want to come back so that you can get them to now answer those questions for you, which typically takes place in the second interview, where you're going to then really assess, okay, does this person actually have the skill set? Do they have the resiliency, the, the curiosity that we need, the um, drive and determination and all those things. But typically where I see the success happen is when um, there's a commitment made on the employer side first. I, I totally agree with that, Jamie. I think making sure that you're selling your vision, your brand, what that role looks like, what they're going to get out of it. What's the value beyond the paycheck that they're going to get of coming to work for you um, is hugely important. So definitely in the, that first interview, you have to make time to um, share that with the candidate and also make sure you give time for them to ask questions as well. It's an interview process on both sides. So it has to be a fit for them. It has to be a fit for you. And so making sure that they're able to ask questions can be really valuable. And in fact, sometimes the questions can be really revealing and they can be a green 
flag or a red flag as well. I love that back and forth that that it is truly an exchange. And, and I think people are really challenging that power dynamic that was historically perceived that, you know, you're applying for a job, you're in this posture where you're trying to get that job and the employer has the power. Um, but now we're seeing that dynamic completely shift, which is really interesting to see from kind of an employee perspective, because there's so much choice out there. Um, and I think it's high time that, you know, employers are accountable to to really making that experience um, positive and, and going within that sales posture that Jamie started mentioning, um, bringing them on board and, and really prioritizing that um, as opposed to, you know, putting all the pressure on the employee or prospective employee. Um, in terms of onboarding, nurturing employees, building a team, et cetera, um, this I'm sure has evolved as well during your time, Erin, um, at Dozer, especially, you know, having a remote team, strong culture is becoming more and more important um, and retention of employees on the other side of things. You know, there is a lot of choice for people to be navigating and shifting gears a little bit career wise. What has worked well to really retain and keep employees engaged during such a challenging time? Yeah, you know, uh, we moved to remote work um, during COVID as many, many other companies did. And it's, it's been a really interesting journey for us. I think um, it used to be uh, that I knew everybody at the company and I interacted with them every day in the office. Um, and then as we continue to grow throughout COVID, there's, I would say, at least half of our staff that has never set foot in our office and that I've never actually met face to face. And it's just a totally different uh, dynamic. Um, and it does present more challenges when it comes to um, building that culture and um, retention as well. So we have a, a remote first policy um, and our, our tagline for that is work remotely, gather socially. So we do mm-hmm. try and, you know, have regular events um, for our team where we can get together in person where when it's safe to do so, um, or virtually as well, um, maybe when that's more appropriate. And sometimes they're really just informal events, um, you know, coffee chats and things like that. And sometimes they're, they're maybe more, um, more planned and scheduled. But that's really something that we need to be able to keep the spark alive and keep those relationships um, going. But it doesn't end there. Right? That's not the, the be all end all. We really have to um, build a foundation upon which those relationships can flourish. And that comes with the day to day. So that's where it comes back to really walking the talk and embodying your culture. So for us, a huge part of our culture at Dozer is around um, learning and development and problem solving. Um, and we really look for people that embody those values. And so then we need to walk the talk and make sure that they're able to experience that in their work every day. So that comes down to things like giving them really challenging and meaningful work, um, making sure that they feel like they're making a difference, Um, opportunities to collaborate, you know, on the things that they're working on, being able to put ideas forward, no matter how crazy they might see Mm -hmm. and actually have them taken seriously and actually see some of them, you know, be developed and, and, and put in front of our customers. So when we can embed that type of work um, and have it aligned with our values, I think that really is what helps lead to uh, employee engagement and at the end of the day, retention. 
I love it. And Jamie, over to you with, with looking at retention, um, you know, as senior executives on various teams or founders, measuring retention being kind of a, a be-all, end-all metric these days, um, understanding the environment that we're currently in. Does the idea of retention, you know, are we reframing what that looks like? Are we managing expectations of how long we might be even able to, to retain team members? What can leaders do um, to, to sort of get comfortable with these shifting uh, employees? arrangements and and what advice do you have around um, when things might not be working? What if you have, you know, brought somebody on that um, you don't want to retain? What does that look like? Yeah, I think that there, your, your question about, um, you know, does it look different uh, now than it did before? And the answer is yes. I, I think that what we're starting to see is that our measurement, like our, our, our measurement around ROI and retention is changing. Mm-hmm. And I think that we used to measure that in a very traditional way of, of, of tenure. Yeah. And I think that, you know, retention is, yes, we're retaining our employees, but, um, you know, Aaron made such a powerful point about giving people really meaningful and important work to do. And I think that that is so critical in our evaluation of retention and the goal of it, right? So if we have people in our companies and, you know, in my clients' companies I've seen, whether it's leaders or individual contributors, I think that, you know, allowing people to um, define what is meaningful to them and what, you know, important work is to them, you know, as long as it's in line with the business, obviously. But I think that, uh, you know, if we don't have powerful and meaningful work for people, then is it, a, is it worth it to keep them? You know, is it worth, worth it for their career path to, to stay within your organization? Probably not. Mm-hmm. And so I think recognizing that early and, you know, leaning into it more now than, than, than ever, I think is so important because I think we, we make some, um, you know, difficult decisions that don't always end in the result that we would hope, which is to keep people for a long time. They're happy. They contribute to the organization. We grow. Um, but I think that a lot of time we're forcing that mm-hmm. and we are it's square peg round hole situation. So I think that really leaning into what it is that they want to do, um, how they want to impact the organization and, you know, what goals they have for themselves. And if that lines up with the business, then fantastic, make it happen. Like literally just make it happen. Um, you know, if, if that ultimately benefits the business and helps the, the business grow, then why not? And I think that there's never been a more interesting time to, yeah. to lean into agility. I think that, you know, I can speak on my own behalf that three years ago, if you would have asked me if I would have ever thought that I would be, you know, a work from home culture, I would, I would have told you absolutely not. That that's impossible. We are an in office culture. We we learn this way. We grow this way. Now, I mean, I haven't stepped foot in the office in in two years. So <laughs> that's something that is really important. If you would have asked me, you know, two years ago, if I was going to ever think about being a four day work week company, I would say nope. That's impossible. We have way too much work to do every day, all day. And here we are um, over a year in, you know, our revenue has doubled and we've expanded into new markets and we've grown as a company. We're an out of office culture with a four day work week. So I think now is the time that we've all proven to ourselves as leaders that we are a lot more agile than we ever thought we could be. 
uh, we're a lot more um, capable of change than we ever thought we would be. So I think that's um, the, the discussion to be had. I love that. That's so interesting. And, and I love this evolution. Like it is encouraging to see how much, you know, shaping and flexibility there can be in the future. Do you both, maybe I'll pose this question to Jamie first and then over to Aaron. Do you have any predictions on what the future of hiring and interviewing and recruitment and kind of this employee experience, what is it going to look like moving forward? Um, and is there anything that, that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, I, I think that recruitment has always been continuous. Like, you know, there's times where companies, like, you know, Aaron said too, like so much of growth and, and, and growth of people um, is so ebb and flow. It, it's so um, dependent and correlates directly to, you know, um, capital to, to raising money. And I don't think that will ever change. I think that's a really natural, um, you know, growth pattern. But I think uh, the one prediction I have is that recruitment is now not a dial that we move forward or move back. It's a dial that's going to pretty much stay um, turned on. I think mm-hmm. recruitment is going to be a lot more continuous and a, a much bigger um, business practice than than we even think. I think that um, you're going to see a lot of companies invest heavily and as they should in in-house talent, um, you know, uh, leaders, people who are leading talent, people who are leading, you know, um, brand, talent, talent branding, recruitment, HR, people, that that umbrella um, of, of uh, process and business focus uh, is going to, to get a lot bigger. And I think we're going to see a lot more seats at the table, um, you know, with a people mindset um, and leadership focus. So I think that recruitment will be a continuous dial. It's not going to move up or down. It's going to be there. Um, and you'll see companies invest in it. Um, a lot heavier um, than than we have in the past, and I think that um, you know it's it's you know like I mentioned earlier, it's never going to get easy. It's mm. just not going to. Mm-hmm. There you go. So <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> but yeah. exciting way forward, definitely. Aaron, what uh, what do you have in terms of predictions? Future hiring, interviewing, recruiting. Uh, is there anything that excites you about the future as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, recruitment is shifting and changing more this year than I think I've ever seen it. Mm. The movement towards remote work has really flipped everything that we've ever known about recruitment on its head. It's the combination of the remote work and it being a really competitive candidate driven market. You know, the benefit of having remote work is you've got a much broader talent pool to work from. It used to be that we were hiring people that lived within, you know, a 50 kilometer radius from our office. Um, and now that's, that's not even a factor anymore, right? We can hire anybody anywhere in the world um, if they've got the skills, the talent, the mindset, you know, the culture fit, you know, the, there's no boundaries anymore around um, where they can be located. They can kind of work from anywhere. The flip side of that coin is with that comes many more, uh, much broader set of opportunities for your candidates. So you, your pool yeah. of competition has gotten much wider as well. Um, and there's definitely... Um, this this sort of underlying feeling of movement, right? People are a little bit restless. They're looking to see what else is out there. So they're, I think recruiting is 
is going to be a huge focus, um, certainly for us, but I think for many companies. And uh, the way that we find talent, the way we look at them, the way we think about them is, is going to be really different this year. Agreed. Agreed. Exciting times ahead, I think. Yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how things evolve. But I think a huge opportunity for emerging purpose-driven, you know, startups and small businesses that are emerging during this pandemic. Um, It's a really unique opportunity to be building very different types of cultures um, and, and, you know, building incredible businesses along the way. So I'm definitely encouraged with what we've seen so far, but disruption is here and it looks like it's here to stay is what I'm gathering so far exciting so i want to thank both of you so much for joining us on the startup women podcast this has been such a great conversation um, and look forward to seeing where both of your organizations go next exciting times ahead thank you so much for having me thank you Thank you so much for joining us on the Startup Women podcast, where we are committed to telling the stories of women entrepreneurs and uncovering actionable advice that goes beyond the surface level. The Startup Women podcast is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles and is made possible with the support of BDC and Scotiabank so we can continue to power women identifying entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca to explore the Startup Women flagship program and access advisory support and free resources. Be sure to check out the show notes to access important links, resources, and information that we mentioned during today's episode. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to another episode next month.